0: Because he has laid down his life for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, dear faithful, dear Father, we have seen uh, in the last few weeks, perhaps, the really beautiful feasts of uh, our holy faith. And we saw the uh, beautiful feast, the resurrection, uh, ascension. uh, uh, We saw Pentecost. Uh, and then we will see, uh, we saw Corpus Christi, and in the next week we'll see the beautiful feast of the Sacred Heart, and then later on uh, the feast of the Precious Blood. All these beautiful uh, realities, beautiful feasts, which have profound uh, ramifications for us, implications for us, but also indicate, as uh, we see both in today's uh, Mass, in the Epistle and Gospel, and we see more primarily in the uh, image uh, of uh, the Feast of Corpus Christi and in the reality of the Sacred Heart, the great love of our God for us. And this, this uh, uh, is given to us by a God who loves us so deeply. You know, the, the greatest words, and I'm not going to focus today so much on the Feast of Corpus Christi, as I would like to speak a little bit about the Sacred Heart and its implications for us. But the most beautiful words uh, I've ever read uh, on the Feast of Corpus Christi were written by Pope Urban IV, who instituted the Feast. And I've placed them on the the district uh, website on the main page for you. They are the most beautiful words. And you can see the words of a Pope, of a man of God, who understood the beauty of the love of God for us in giving us himself in the Blessed Sacrament. You can see the depth of someone who is so grateful for this gift of which we are so unworthy and of which our God is so generous to give to us. And in the Feast of the Sacred Heart, like in the Feast of Corpus Christi, we see the love of God made real for us, made real in his uh, person and then given to us in his very person in the Blessed Sacrament. The sacred heart, uh, says Pope Pius XII, is uh, in it, it is altogether impossible to enumerate the heavenly gifts which devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus has poured out on souls of the faithful, purifying them, offering them heavenly strength, rousing them to the attainment of all virtue. Therefore, recalling those wise words of the Apostle St. James, every best gift, every perfect gift, Is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. There uh, is in the sacred heart the symbol and express image of the infinite love of Jesus, which moves us to love in return. That should be our response. Thus, he says, as Catholics, we can contemplate and honour the heart of the divine Redeemer as a symbolic image of his love and a witness of our redemption And at the same time, as a sort of mystical ladder, by we mount to the embrace of God, our Saviour. It's through the heart of our Lord that we enter into the depth of the treasures of the wisdom of God, through the sacred heart of our Lord. Hence, says Pope Pius XII, all his words, actions and commands, his miracles, and especially those works which manifest more clearly his love for us, such as the divine institution of the Eucharist, his most bitter suffering and death, the loving gift of his Holy Mother to us, the founding of his church for us, and finally the sending of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and upon us. All these, we say, ought to be looked upon as proof of his love for us. And we see then when our Lord instituted the priesthood, the Eucharist, he did them. ...as a love for us. The priest is not a priest for himself. He is a priest to be the shepherd to the people of God. And the Eucharist is not about the priest going to communion... ...so much as is the Sacred Heart coming down to you in practice... ...in a practical, real, concrete way... ...showing his tangible love for us. What a beautiful mystery we are confronted with. The immense treasure we have in the Sacred Heart... ...what are those treasures... And I want to enumerate those in order perhaps to draw uh, a little uh, reflection for us and what it should mean in practice in our spiritual life. Firstly, in the Sacred Heart, we see the gift of the Holy Ghost and the infusion of our Lord's heart, his grace, where we are made children of God and heirs to the Kingdom of Heaven. The infusion of this divine charity has its origin, says Pius XII, in the heart of our Lord. For in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. St. Paul would say that Christ may take permanent abode by faith in your hearts. And on this point, says St. Alphonsus Liguri, it is due to the lack of devotion to the sacred heart of our Lord that so many souls don't make real progress in virtue. He says the reason why so many souls make so little progress in virtue and remain at the same time in their defects and even frequently slide back into grievous sins is because they take but little care to acquire the love of Jesus Christ, which is the golden cord that unites and binds the soul to God. And that that makes perfect sense because the sinner, for all of his faults, and the greater the sinner means actually, if you want to be honest, the greater the sinner means that that, that sinner is a lover. It's just disordered love. But at least they are a lover. And in loving the sin, whatever sin they love, uh, it's a sign that they love. All they need to do is redirect that. Not stop loving, but redirect the love, and they will become great saints. And this is why St. Francis is spot on. If they loved... More clearly, more dearly, the sacred heart of our Lord, they would overcome their defects. They would grow in virtue beyond comprehension because they were lovers and they've learnt to love that which is our greatest obstacle, our greatest object of love, our Lord Jesus Christ. The sacred heart gives us then the strength, the strength that we need in this life. And that's why our Lord will say to us, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will refresh you. Learn of me because I am meek and humble of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. It's in our Lord that we will find the strength in this life. This life is a valley of tears, but it's a battle. And if you're living the spiritual life, you'll understand it's not only a battle, but it's a very profound struggle. Sometimes you can struggle to get out of bed in the morning. It can be very difficult for us. It's not easy when you're living the spiritual life. It's For this reason, says St. Peter Damien, in this adorable heart, we find the weapons which we need to defend ourselves against our enemies, a cure for our ills, powerful help against temptation, the sweetest consolation in suffering, and the purest joy in this valley of tears. It's in our Lord's heart that we will find the strength to persevere. Not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Our Lord's heart gives us the strength, the strength we need to persevere in this valley of tears. Jeremiah of old would say, I say to myself, I will not mention his name. I will speak in his name no more, but then it becomes like a burning fire in my heart, imprisoned in my bones, and I grow weary, holding it in. I cannot endure it. Jeremiah, who never saw the sacred heart, was on fire for the name of God. Just thinking about the name of God, set his heart on fire. He couldn't contain it anymore. What can we say? who have known Christ. Christ who risked everything for us. What are we going to risk for him? Christ risked everything for us. What are we going to risk for him? And dear friends, what I'm going to say here on in may offend some, but it's not to offend. It's like a father who who loves his children. He wants to address some things. But what we see today, when we speak about the devotion to the Sacred Heart, when we speak about our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Let's be honest about this. Let's be honest about this. It's almost a facade today. It's almost a fake devotion today. Because how can a church today speak about loving our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament when we have a liturgy that's not worthy of the Blessed Sacrament? The Novus Ordo, I may say, is not a, word, a Mass that's worthy of, of God. It's not at all. And here I'm not, the sermon's not about having a go at the Nova Novus Missae. but let me just point out uh, the hypocrisy from our popes and then apply it to our own hypocrisy, because we have a hypocrisy in our church today, in our parishes in the tradition today. Let me expose them, but let me give you the principle first. Pope Benedict XVI, when he was cardinal, he wrote, he wrote an introduction to a very good book by Monsignor gamber Klaus on the destructive reform of the liturgy. And in this introduction, Cardinal Radzinger at the time makes a very profound and solid uh, observation. And he states that what happened after the council was something uh, else entirely. In the place of liturgy as the fruit of development came fabricated liturgy. We abandoned organic living process of growth and development over the centuries, and re- we replaced it as in a manufacturing process with a fabrication, a, a banal a banal on-the-spot production. Gamba, that is Monsignor Gamba, with the vigilance of a true prophet and the courage of a true witness, opposed this falsification and infallibly taught us about the living fullness of a true liturgy. You think, well, how how can Cardinal Radzinger, who later became Pope Benedict XVI, state those words and yet himself never offered the traditional Mass? Instead, as a typical modernist and a hypocrite, only offered the abomination which we call the Novus Soudan Embassy. That makes the mind boggle. But, dear friends, I'm not saying that to point the finger. Why not? Because when we point the finger, there's a lot more pointed back at us. We, of the tradition, we say we believe in the sacred heart. We say we love the old liturgy. And I don't see that in practice, overall in our parishes. Not not with every individual, but it's not about individuals. It's not about me or a priest. But taken as a whole, as parishes, and and I'm speaking as many years as a priest in what I've witnessed, Our vision today is not much different than the world around us. Let me just make a a few basic observations for our parish here, for somebody who's been here only new to the parish. How is it that week in, week out, our parishioners come late to Mass? I can't comprehend that. One time, maybe, twice, maybe, but on a regular basis. Where's the zeal for our worship of God? To come, prepare. You know, the world should be weighing on you if you're living in the world. You should have an eagerness looking forward to getting to Mass, coming to pray your prayers. Instead, what do we see? A spirit of indifference and mediocrity. People will come, and God bless our our priests who decided to make the the hall an extension of, of the church. But people will come when the church is empty and they'll sit at the back. You're not interested, not zealous for the church of God? No, I was sit at the back. You know, when I was in, in Brisbane, I'd be fair, and I've never seen that here, but when I was in Brisbane, for years, when I was saying Mass, half of the congregation was outside. Some were chatting, some were smoking, drinking, whatever they wanted. In the end, when I got another priest to be able to assist me at Mass, I confronted them one after the other. It's not a problem. Next time you do that, you will not be welcome back here. And why? I'll explain to you why. Just as I wrote to someone the other day, I wrote it in an email to him. He said, Father, what, why are your reaction like this? I said, very simple. Let me, maybe I'm a bit naive, maybe I'm a bit stupid, whatever you want. But between your house and our parish, normally, there's about 10 or 20 different churches, Catholic churches, that you're welcome to attend. But in my mind, in my mind, I thought if you come to our parish, you have the same conviction that we do. And that is for the love of our Lord. Your basic duty to come to Mass, basic duty. I'm not imposing on you anything different than the church has always imposed upon, imposed upon our, uh, on Catholics. Duty to go to Sunday Mass. Uh, if you're not serious about it, what are you doing coming to our chapel? You're in the wrong place. Uh, you know what we stand for, Christ the King. Uh, we give our life in total sacrifice, dedication to that. If you're not on board with that, ask yourself, what in the world am I doing here? Why do I come to mass here? We need to ask ourselves: What am I? Every morning when I wake up, there's a question: Why am I here? Why did I become a priest? What am I doing here? If there's some motive that's not right, we need to correct that. We need to be honest about that, because, dear faithful, if I don't correct what I see, what will happen? God will punish me as a priest. And I'll become blind. Then God will punish us as a parish. And I don't want that. If we don't have an honest assessment of our own indifference, our own mediocrity, our own lack of love for our Lord. Why are we not on fire for our, our parish, for our faith? You know, this, the, 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 the Friday catechisms, there's about 30% that come that are not even our parishioners. And that's amazing to see. Because these people know that if they come here, at least they're going to receive the true doctrine. They know that these priests in this parish are going to tell them the truth. They're going to learn the faith from these priests. But why don't our faithful see that? Why are the greater bulk of our faithful who should be there, not there? Why? I don't understand why. Those on the outside understand what we don't seem to care about anymore. Pope, Benedict, Pope Francis, who is today, I would say, one of the greatest destroyers of our faith, and yet he understands the threat of tradition. He is constantly bad-mouthing traditional Catholics. He said recently that they are, they are the ones opposing, the American reformers, the traditionalists. they are opposing the reform of the council, and he's right, he's spot on. But he often makes a complaint that the traditional Catholics hold to a dead tradition, that's only true if we hide behind our religion. And we don't use it to set the world ablaze, as it once did. You know, the Catholic faith was not built upon mediocrity. You don't produce great artwork. You don't produce great liturgy. You don't produce great music, poetry, whatever you want. Gregorian chant, you don't produce that with mediocrity. And there are many people here who, week in, week out, have never been to a sung mass. That's a very poor attitude. I'm sorry. Because the sung mass gives greater glory to God. It does. And therefore, it is, a, it is a privilege and honor to attend that. But we often take, well, you know, Father, I, I'm comfortable with the low mass. I like the low mass. It's very interesting. The, the sort of people say the same thing to me. Father, I love the mass in English. I don't understand Latin. My answer is the same, actually. It has nothing to do with whether you understand Latin at all. It has nothing to do whether you like it or not, actually. Because if you look at the doctrine of the Trinity, I don't understand it, but I have to understand it. Am I might not even like it? But it's not about you liking it, but you understanding it. It's entering into the mystery, entering into the beauty, and giving glory to God. In heaven, what are the souls doing? What are they going to be doing? Giving greater glory to God. And when do we start doing that? Not in heaven, but on earth. And therefore, yeah, we should be making an effort. Unless we've got some reason, the young children or whatever, some genuine reason, we make an effort from time to time to get into the get to the sung mass, to support the sung mass, to build up that sung mass. The beautiful response I've received wherever I've gone, and most recently from the people in Singleton, towards setting up uh, the sung mass. The servers, the singers, always had a beautiful response from our faithful, don't get me wrong. Uh, but we can become mediocre and indifferent and that's, that's not good. We must be aware of that and if we're not aware of that, this is the problem for us. If we start to see these things as okay, acceptable, normal, then we start to become indifferent to the world around us and we become, like I said with the Navasoto, we we make in a mockery of the beauty of these feasts. Let's be honest with ourselves uh, and our assessment of these things, what we've noticed, and again, the sisters themselves have noticed, the lack of maturity amongst our people. The sisters, God bless them for all they do, and I can say it when they're not here today. Often, people will just walk past them, ignore them. They'll say something to our young people, and the young people just act indifferent. And what's worse, people after the Sunday mass throw things uh, after uh, over their fence. They're constantly collecting rubbish. Over their fence. Explain that to me. It's a sign of what's in their hearts. Where your treasury says, our Lord, there your heart is. A lack of maturity. A lack of owning up to our faith, taking the responsibility, taking the maturity for our faith. Uh, Don't worry. Again, when I was in Brisbane, when I first got there, the same problems. Trash everywhere. People were eating in the church, drinking in the church. But week in, week out, we worked together. And there was a growth, there was a reform, there was a change, but it's a work. It's a hard work, but it has to begin with first acknowledging it, seeing it for what it is, something that's not right. Something that's not right. And it does require a lot of work, both on our part as individuals and the priests. and the, the But my point is this, cor unum, and men to Unam. That is, we must have one heart, and that's one of the, the, uh, the titles of the society, called Unam, one heart, that banner we have with the two hearts. We must have one heart, one mind as parishioners and priests, one parish, one heart, one mind. We must be on the same page so we can work together, we can grow together. Because we don't grow separately. You don't have a saintly priest and a mediocre parish, you don't. You have a mediocre parish and a mediocre priest. That's how it works. You have a saintly parish and a saintly priest. That's how it works. We must grow together. And it's not about uh, pointing the finger, not at all. But we do have to point the finger at ourselves when we do point the finger at what's going on in the mainstream church today. And let me give you a bit of an example, if I can deepen the the point, and what I'm going to say might scandalise you. That is, you know, today we're here in the Western countries, English-speaking countries, and even in Europe, that churches are set on fire, burnt, Catholic churches. And what goes through my mind is actually that's a great thing. The Catholic churches today should all be burnt. Why? I'm going to quote for you Jesus Christ. When the salt loses its savour, it deserves to be nothing but trampled underfoot by men. But let me give you an example in the annals of American history of how Catholics once upon a time responded How did we respond to when our churches were being burnt? When they once upon a time had the faith, how did they respond? Back in the early 1830s, you read from the annals of American history, against the backdrop of an increasing immigrants from Ireland, an intensification of religious intolerance and nationalism began to flare up. Hate-filled and racist rhetoric about the Catholic Church began to rise up in America. Sensing the impeding storm, and in the wake of arsonists being uh, wanting to burn St Mary's Church in Philadelphia uh, on Sheriff Street, Bishop John Hughes leapt into action. They called him Bishop Dagger John, named uh, uh, attributed to him for his fierce personality. In 1834, uh, they built the wall was constructed around Old St Patrick's, and armed guards were placed within its courtyard. But it wasn't until 1844 that things would come to a head. After nativist mobs torched churches, uh, bringing about multiple deaths in Philadelphia, they then turned their sights on New York. They prepared to torch uh, an assault on St. Patrick's. But Bishop Dagger John organised between 1,000 and 2,000 Irishmen to defend each church in their city, placing sharp shooters on the walls of old St. Patrick's. He then took his uh, cause public, and he declared with an unblinking eye to the newly elected mayor, James Harper, known for his own anti-immigration position, he said to him, if a single Catholic church were burnt in New York, the city would come to be a second Moscow. What do you mean by that? In Moscow, in 1812, a fire was set ablaze that destroyed the city in order to prevent Napoleon's advances. So he's saying that if you touch one church, we'll destroy the whole city. We'll burn this whole city down. In fact, it was he who who said to the the, know-nothings, an offshoot of the Freemasons, who wanted to to burn the churches, he said, that's fine, but for every church you burn of ours, we'll burn 10 of your Masonic temples. They backed off. That's how a Catholic responds. Some of them, says the uh, uh, historical annal, were so determined to make every resistance that they would set fire even to their own houses and destroy the city if any mob had vented to attack them. They felt that if they were surrounded by enemies, they, uh, the very officials that should protect them were in league against them. So they were resolved to protect themselves and their churches and to stand by their bishop to the death. But they weren't so much protecting the bishop as they were their love for the house of God they were willing to destroy the whole city rather than see one church set ablaze. Because these people loved the sacred heart. These people understood, these Irish Catholics understood what the Blessed Sacrament was. Are willing to lay down their life for it. And us, with all of our modern technology, sorry, my car, probably like your car, has an air conditioner. It's Comfortable. It's not hard to get to church for most of us. And yet, we we come late. We give our Lord something broken. Why? Because often we don't really want to be here. And why is that? I can't understand the answer to that. Because our Lord has spared nothing. He has given us everything. And what's sadder than that? One of the saddest things I had to say to a parent was this one day. This woman's son, one of the sons, had just graduated from our school. And I said to the mother, you know, I hate to say, but your son, after all these years of schooling and coming to Mass, you get the impression he'd never even been baptised. You get the impression he'd never stepped foot in a Catholic church in his life. You know, when you look, the Bible says the eyes are the window of the soul. And today, when you look into the eyes of many of our young people, it's not that you see a lust for the world or they're impure. No, something even worse than that. What's worse than that is what the apocalypse speaks about. A spirit of deadness, emptiness, hopelessness, indifference. I would that you were hot or cold. But because you are not, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. In the heart and the eyes of these people, you, our young people today and many of our old people, what do you see? The emptiness, the hopelessness of the world is eating their hearts. What are they eager for? Oh, nothing. What are you desirous of? Nothing. What's the purpose of your life? I'm not sure. Why am I here? I don't know. Why do you go to church? I oh, because my parents make me. Why am I here? Oh, I'm angry because I'm afraid I might go to hell. But, but there's no fire. And isn't that sad? That's a tragedy of our time. And a time especially, dear friends, when I can't say it enough, how much the sacred heart needs us. How the sacred heart needs us to enlighten the world. Our Lord said, I have come to set the, heart, the, the world on fire. I have a fire and would that I could set it ablaze. Our Lord has come to set our hearts ablaze for him. And what's our reaction? It's terrible. It's poor. It's indifferent. In a time when the treasures of the church are exposed to us, we are privileged to have the true mass, to have the the true faith preached to us. And today, today, unlike 20, 30 years ago, we have more schools, more parishes than we ever had, and we have less vocations. Our children who are coming to our schools, they're leaving becoming apostates. Why is that? It's negligence. There's a poor attitude. Often with our parents who themselves are a scandal. Scandal by coming to Mass late, being mediocre in their faith. How do you expect the children to take their faith seriously if the parents don't come to catechism? They don't set the example. They're not willing to make the extra sacrifice for their faith beyond the minimum beyond the minimum, and that's very poor. So if they're not on fire, the parents are not on fire, where are the children going to get the fire from? Sending them to your schools is not not going to work because the the parents in the 1950s sent them to better schools. The priests and the religious in the 50s were far better educated than I'll ever be, far holier than I'll ever be in a million years. And they all ended up, to a greater or lesser extent, apostates. Why? Because their parents hearts were not in it. And this is the reality today. Where are our hearts? Why are our hearts not on fire for the love of the sacred heart? Remember, our Lord, when he would encourage St. Margaret Mary on this devotion to the sacred heart, he would say to her these words back in 1675, after, shortly after the Feast of Corpus Christi, he would say to her, Behold, this heart which has loved men so much that it has spared nothing in order to testify to them its love. And in return, I receive from the greater number of men nothing but ingratitude with irreverence and sacrileges by the coldness and contempt which they show me in the sacrament of my love. Those words were spoken in a time of the good old days of the faith. When there was only the Latin Mass. And yet, what's been the reaction? What would our Lord say today? How the Sacred Heart today must be weeping at the indifference of his people. at The coldness, the contempt of his people. I'm not talking about the pagan. Dear friends, if, if the pagan sees us that we're not serious, how's he going to take the faith seriously? Imagine somebody coming to the parish the first time <clears throat> seeing people smoking and chatting and, and uh, going on their phone, uh, he's, he's going to be scandalized. These people don't take it seriously. Take, how am I? What is this, a joke? You're gonna, not going to come back. But when he sees a whole congregation of worshippers of the Sacred Heart, zealous, kind, generous, loving, united, wow, we read already in the annals of the early church, the pagans were, were overwhelmed by how the Christians loved one another how they were united, how the love of the sacred heart emanated from them. You know, the the beautiful words of those two men, uh, the men who were walking with our Lord uh, on the road to Emmaus, they said, were not our hearts burning within us when we were speaking with him? Those words should be said of all of us, all of us. When people see us, when people speak to us, they should be enkindled in their hearts, the fire that's in our hearts. But today, today, people are, uh, are, in general, passionate for the world. Talk to them about money, economics, politics. But talk to them about Jesus Christ, the faith, the blessed sacrament. Uh, what, what's that? It's not that big. Don't make a big deal, Father. It is the only deal. Religion and Jesus Christ, the Catholic faith, is the only deal. Because everything else comes and goes. will pass away. It's the only thing that will remain. And it's the only purpose of our life. We are here to know, love and serve God, give glory to God, and the greatest glory to God, as the founder of the Jesuits say, ad maiorum gloriae and thee, the greater glory of God. And you see this. The Jesuits have the most uh, uh, in-your-face Catholic churches in the world. In-your-face, yeah. Beautiful artwork. That would have costed millions of dollars. Gold, tapestry, paintings, beautiful In your face. Yeah, that's Catholicism. In your face. That makes you say, wow, praise be to God. How could men accomplish this great marvel? And this must be us. In every aspect of our life. In every aspect. That we we draw men to the love, the adoration, the worship of God. This is what we are here for, dear friends. Let us use what I have said to pause, to reflect, to consider, to ask the sacred heart, to set our hearts a blaze for his sacred heart. Sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Father, Son, Holy Ghost...